for half a century, WJPZ Syracuse has been the greatest media classroom on the planet. We've trained students from the 1970s to the 2020s on how to run a professional radio station. But the lessons learned and relationships formed go far beyond studios and transmitters. Taking a look back through the eyes of those who experienced it. This is WJPZ at 50. Welcome to WJPZ at 50. I am John Jagay, and I'm already smiling today because it's hard not to smile when you are talking to today's guest. One of uh, the big gets for the show, I have to say, he is Hall of Famer from the class of 1995, Neon Dion Summers from SiriusXM. Welcome to the show. This is the high point of like my week, man. It's all downhill from here, bro. Thank you. <laughs> That's high praise. No pressure, right? None at all, man. None at all. You know, Mina's done this, said it was amazing. You know, Gorab this morning said it was really, really dope, man. So I'm just glad to be here, man. You know me. I'm happy to be here, man. Ready to go. These are names. We're going to come back to Mina's name in a minute because she was pretty effusive of uh, her praise of you in this podcast. But take me back to the beginning. How's a kid from Baltimore end up going as the Great White North in Syracuse? (laughs) I really thought that I was unique in the sense that I was this teenage radio geek who loved music at a young age, but even deeper than the love of music, I wanted to kind of pull back the curtain, right? I wanted to, you know, why do these guys say this? (laughs) Why do they play this song every two hours and 15 minutes? Who's making them do that? And so in my 12, 13 year old brain, I wanted to pull back the curtain, right? I wanted to find out like, why, like who's making them do this stuff? And how could I do that one day? Right. And so when it came time to sort through colleges, I got a full scholarship to Iowa State. Okay. Which did not have a college radio station. So <laughs> that was taken off the list real quick. That was done. And it came down to Syracuse and Howard University, which also has a very reputable college radio station. And I remember going to campus and I visited their campus station, uh, WHBCU, and was like, Wow. Those are some great call letters, by the way. Right. Like just a really, really cool radio station. And, you know, I really felt like I could really fit in here. I could really belong here. But the thing that did it for me, like the thing that really, really, really did it for me for JPZ, I remember I also, as a senior, high school senior, visited the campus. It was April of 91. I remember this so well. It was a Thursday. <laughs> Picture it. <laughs> Sicily. Now, like I remember it so well because it was a Thursday night and I had to ask for directions to where Watson Hall was. And then once I found Watson, I had to find where the hell the radio station was because it was in the back. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so I had to find like where to get there. And I finally got inside the radio station between eight o'clock and eight ten. And I'll tell you exactly why I knew it was between eight and eight ten. As I wandered in, BB Good, our friend Sharon Goodman, was recording guest ZJs for the top eight at nine. And yo, I remember this so vividly. She was trying to have someone introduce song number seven, which was Latour. People are still having sex. (laughs) And I remember her, you know, at the reel to reel with the splicing tape and doing like 10 things at once, right? She's hitting buttons. She's segueing. You know, she's going back and audition to record the caller. You know, she's pulling her hour. Amazing. Just seeing her make this great radio happen, like the curtain was pulled back, Jack. Like, I'm like, this is what I wanted. Like the curtain is pulled back and I finally see 
how the sausage is made, right? Yeah, like, yeah. I finally see this, like, with my own two eyes. And, you know, she was a college student, not much older than I was. And I'm like, yo, she's killing it. Yeah. I want to do this. And, like, that was it. That was the moment where Syracuse beat out Howard. I knew I was going to Syracuse. And something told me at the time, you know, because BB, you know, I, I would introduce myself to her and she was, as you know. Yeah. I mean, just the sweetest person ever, right? And she was so open to me and she was so kind and polite. I knew I found my tribe. Yeah. Like, I knew I found my tribe. Like, aside from a bunch of radio geeks, <laughs> I just felt like, yo, I really feel like I can belong to a place like this. Which, when you're 16, it's hard to belong, right? Like, thinking back, like, when you're 16, like, ugh, it's hard. But I felt like I had my tribe. I felt like, yo, this could really be something that would be life-changing for me. Like, I knew that then. And I think I was right. <laughs> what you say about the tribe, Dion, it's funny, in talking to alumni from 50 different years of the radio station here, there is so many common threads in this podcast, and that's one of them, is seven years later, I got there, and I got to the campus before the radio station, and I'm like, I'm not really comfortable here. I'm homesick. I haven't found my group. I haven't found my, 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 I haven't fit in. And I got to the radio station and I did. Yeah. You know, and if there were some folks like for you, for Matt Friedman, who the radio station was almost came first before Syracuse University. And then you end up there and they don't even have to ask you how you go from Syracuse to the radio station because the radio station came first. It really did. It really, really did. And again, you know, like I said at the beginning, like I thought, I was alone in this. We all did. We all did. Nobody else. Nobody else has these weird radio, you know, inclinations. <laughs> nobody like we all did. And so that's how you know that your tribe was genuine because you thought like, wait a minute, you two, you two, wait, Damien, you two, Velarde, you two. Yeah. All of us like, yeah, like we were all alone in thinking that way. So we all thought the same way. And I can remember being so, so happy after classes were done for the day or between <laughs> classes, you know, walking through those double doors and like, it was like cheers. You know what I mean? Like everybody knows your name and it's like, you know, you belong here. And Dion! Right. You go right to work. It's like, okay, is it contest hours? You know, is it time for news and sports? Right. You know, do I have to cut a spot? Like everything was so, it was just a well-oiled machine. And the job was to keep this radio safe, keep this thing, keep this living, breathing thing going. Right. We were all kids, man. What the hell did we know? You know what I mean? We all took what we thought we knew from our hometown radio station and applied it into this thing, right? So we were all learning as we went along. Take me through your evolution of what you did at Z89. Anything. <laughs> it didn't even matter. You know, it's funny now, being, you know, old now, I think back, I think to myself, was there really a time where I was up and on the radio at 4 a.m. <laughs> Did that really happen? Like, yes. Like, I remember, and even before freshman year, Jack, I'll tell you, man, I remember um, there was something called Summer Institute, mm -hmm. which was a six-week program for incoming freshmen of color that myself, Damien, El Loco, G-Nice, uh, George Rizzo, a few of us had belonged to Summer Institute. And so, we had the advantage of kind of being on campus the summer before our freshman year. Yeah. And I remember me and Damien would always stop by JPZ and just kind of check things out. Yeah. You know, they weren't recruiting until the fall, but we wanted to be such a part of this radio station that, you know, we were trying to get a jump on it and meeting some of the students and, you know, becoming acclimated with the station and listening to the station so that by freshman year, 
I think we thought we had a leg up on everybody, right? right? So our freshman year, you know, we're ready. We're ready. And it's like, okay, overnights. All right, what do I have to do? You know, back in the day when an FCC license was something you had to attain. Yeah. All right, we got the FCC license. Okay, what next? Got to choose a name. I don't know. Like, I don't know. Neon Rhymes. It sounds kind of cool. I guess. He was Governor D. Redmond, a name that I still freaking love. I think yeah. it's one of the greatest radio names like ever. It just stuck. And I just remember when Gorab had awarded me my first shift. Hmm. There wasn't a part of me that thought, oh my God, four to 6 a.m.? Are you kidding me? <laughs> and I lived in Brewster Bowling, which, you know, was, I think I'm closer to Brewster Bowling here in New York City than I was at <laughs> JPC. Like, it's far. It's far. Like, you got some walking to do. It's a long, cold walk. Yes, it's it is. It's a hike. It's like two hills. Like, it's a <laughs> hike to get there, man. And so, but it didn't matter. It didn't even matter. And the funny thing is, I didn't even go to sleep those nights. Like, I stayed up because I was so excited. I stayed up through the night, you know, did a four to six. In my opinion, killed it, although I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Some of those shifts really suck. And I remember getting back and like, okay, I'll sleep from like 6.30 to like 8. I don't know why like 18-year-olds only needed like 90 minutes of sleep, but that's all we needed back in right, the day. Right, yeah. Like that was it. I was fine. I was good with it. And I just remember like doing those shifts and telling all my friends in Brewster Bowl and I was on the radio. And that just began the, here's what I didn't count on happening. I never got into it. And I'm pretty sure everyone else you spoke with never got into this for the recognition, for the props, for the, right, right, right. you know, for the wow of you're on the radio. It was never about that to me, but I found something inherently gratifying in having your friends, you know, support you in a way where they would recite breaks back to you. Oh, wow. You know, they would tell you. They heard you talk up their favorite song. They heard you give them a shout out. I'd never experienced that before. And so that feeling inside of me, that just further like inspired me to like, okay, I'm going to get cleared for like middays. I'm going to be on in a real day part one day. You're really going to hear me. And that just really inspired me and pushed me, Jack, to the point where I went from overnights to, God, I don't remember, whatever the next level was. Probably like, 11 to 2 or something like that. Yeah. 11 to 2 was next. And I just remember just really sticking my head down and just working yeah. and just, you know, constantly air checking. Shout to Larry Rocket Ross. We took the boom box in the hallway yep. and I was air checking like twice a week, dude. And the guy's a, a genius. Oh, yeah, the guy's yeah. a pro. And, it, and to this day, and I just remember, I just wanted to get better. Yeah. Bro, I just wanted to get better at it. I just wanted to just, you know, like this was it. Like you're on the radio. Like it really, really, really meant something. And it inspired me and empowered me so much. I think I was one of a handful of freshmen who was cleared for top eight that year. Mm -hmm. I don't know what my GPA was freshman year, but I know I got cleared for top eight. <laughs> <day>. <laughs> That's all that mattered to me, bro. So what else did you do besides the, the on-air shift? From there, as you you know went through four years, there were a lot of other things you did at the radio station too, Dion. Mm -hmm. So part of that, you know, wasn't to find out what's behind the curtain. I was really blessed to become chief announcer, mm -hmm. which was really cool because a big part of what I did and what JPZ instilled in me to this day is that when you learn a thing, you teach that thing. Yes. You pave the way for people who pave the way for you. I can give a list, you know, from the Dave Gorabs. James Perther. What? Where is he now? Like James Sillinger is, is on that name with Jeremy Nicholas. Like, of course, Rick Wright, who I remember going into his office as a freshman and seeing all these like radio stars 
you know, on his wall. Yeah. And thinking to myself, one day I'm going to be on this brother's wall. Nice. Thank God I made my way onto that brother's wall. Like, <laughs> and so I know the names of people who came before me, who gave me a shot when they didn't have to. And becoming chief announcer and then, you know, eventually becoming program director. Like it was all about paving the way. It was all about, yo, know, how can I help the next generation? You know what I mean? Like I always say, even say to this day, like radio is so subjective. If you ask 10 different program directors, you'll get 10 different opinions, right? All I can give you is mine and what has worked for me. Mm-hmm. That's always been how I've performed my business professionally. Like I'll just give you my perspective and tell you what worked for me. You internalize that and you let me know how this works for you. As chief announcer, I tried to, you know, become the best of what, you know, Rocket kind of instilled in me, you know, taking the good points, you know, playing down the negative points, the bad points, you know what I mean? You know, just the powers of articulation and getting a point across, one thought per break, and all these mainstays that we still repeat, you know, in this building in Midtown, New York City. Like, it's no exaggeration when I tell you, like, the things that I've learned and the things I've been a part of at JPZ directly directly led to what I'm doing right now. Like we had a difficult conversation. You know, this is something, Jack, that I haven't really expressed a lot when I think back and, you know, have conversations with friends like you about my time at JPC. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something that I just haven't really, you know, had the bandwidth to kind of talk about, but you make it comfortable to kind of have these conversations. So, thank you. You know, I want to talk about the the I guess the <laughs> the black elephant in the room, as it were, man. Because <laughs> um, you know, as you know, I am a black man, <laughs> and I think my time at JPZ, particularly you know around the time that I was program director, my junior year, was when um, the idea of race at JPZ had really got to me. Okay. And it really reached kind of a feverish pitch. Um, I had heard that prior to my coming to Syracuse in 1991, that there were various black student organizations that had spoken to JPZ about the lack of diversity at the radio station. I'd heard these stories. I'd read these stories before my freshman year. So I know there's a, there's a past, there's a history, but I didn't let it affect me. Like I told you earlier, I love radio, man. And now a bunch of radio geeks, let's go. So that's how I felt up until I became program director. And I think that the idea of race um, reared its head by my junior year as program director. You know, like I told you, I began kind of seeing kind of where the industry was going. Like in our bylaws, we had to be top 40. But the program director had the discretion to decide which way we'd lead pop rock or more hip hop. And at the time, you know, black music was crossing over in a way that it hadn't before. Sure. The charts were all hip hop and R&B and the spin doctors, right? Like, <laughs> like, like the, the lean was heavy. You know, a lot of stations began to adopt what they call Churvin, like, you know, contemporary hit radio slash urban Churvin, uh, which sounds very lame to say in 2023. You're making a face as you say that word. Yes. <laughs> But yeah, and so being a kid of the industry and kind of watching the ebb and flow of the genres, you know, I began to incorporate more hip hop and R&B titles onto JPZ in my tenure as program director. I began to get pushback by some people on the musical decisions I was making on the channel, Mm -hmm. on the station. 
And one of two things, you know, was the cause of it. One, it could be an objective pushback to say, hey, Dion, you know, may want to consider the Spin Doctors record because, hey, it's, it's doing well nationally in a lot of other radio stations with a similar rhythmic lean that we're doing are playing similar titles and having success with it. May want to give it a shot. You know, objective pushback, right? Then it could have been subjective pushback. This black guy just wants to play black music. Yeah. And I didn't know which way it was landing, but it hurt. Okay. You know, it hurt a lot because for the past two years, I'm thinking, hey, these white guys are cool. <laughs> like, these white guys are cool and we're cool. And, you know, they they, they embrace a, a kid from Baltimore and, you know, we're all good. But it made me think that it wasn't all good. And it unleashed in me that year, you know, for the first time, I thought of myself as I'm not just one of JPZ's, you know, kids. I'm a, I'm a black guy in this. Wow. Like it really kind of, you know, laid that hammer down in a way that I wasn't really prepared to receive it. And I know it was unsettling because I would tell this story later to Steve Donovan. I told Donovan this story a couple of years ago and he's like, are you serious? Really? I never saw it. So I know it was a level of microaggression that if you get it, you get it. You know what I mean? Microaggressions, you know, tend to hit maligned minorities in a way that they don't hit someone like yourself, Jack. Sure. And Dean, I think that has to do with your own perspective, too. Of course, you're going to pick out something like that more than Steve Donovan or myself. And what that does to a person's psyche is just crazy, man, as you could imagine. And like I mentioned earlier, I thank God for my tribe within a tribe of, you know, Big Daddy Marvin and Curtis and Khadijah. They were there to kind of insulate me and give me kind of what I needed because Again, that level of microaggression at that point, I felt like I was kind of alone in this. I felt like I was being kind of abandoned by people that had embraced me, you know, yesterday, right? Dean, I'm going to stop you for a second because you used the word insulate there. You said insulate and give you what you need. I'm wondering if you can expand on that a little bit. What do you mean by that exactly? Support. Okay. Support. I mean, all I ever wanted to do was to like do good radio and to have that challenge again objectively or subjectively, but I always took it as subjective. I had to run to people and there were some allies, some non-black allies as well. Sure. You know, there was Kevin Tackman, who was my music director at the time and Melanie Kushner. Like they were allies as well, but it just felt like I was by myself and being the minority and being one of a handful of black people at the radio station at that time. You know, me and Marvin would go into the production room and close the door, mm. you know, and have real meetings about, you know, what we're doing. He has my APD and my sounding board to say like, no, we're doing the right thing. We're on the right path here. We're serving a greater good. We're counter-programming against 93Q sure. and their pro-rock playlist. This makes objective sense. And I needed to kind of fall into that because again, you know, this was something that we just didn't talk about. We didn't talk about you know, race at the station. We didn't have those honest conversations. And so what those conversations did is it enabled me, again, to have those difficult conversations that I have to this day. And it gave me the strength and the courage to have those difficult conversations in a way that I probably wouldn't have if I didn't get this crash course my junior year. And I really wanted to bring this up because 
again, it's not something that we talk about. And I think it's something that given what I'm blessed to be and mean to this radio station, I think it's my job to mention that and to have that be something that we talk about. And in my conversations with the Alumni Association, I'm very happy that, you know, Jeff Wade, Jeannie Shad, we've been having a lot of progressive conversations about involving the Alumni Association more in areas of diversity that really, really move the needle in a really substantive way for future students. And if I can be a beacon, you know, to future students to let them know that you aren't alone. That was another takeaway, Jack. Another takeaway was that I said to myself, I never want another black student or a student of color to feel the way that I felt. So I've always been the mentor. I've always been the, hey, let me listen to your air check tape. But, you know, that took extra meaning when it was Todd Clayton, you know, when it was Rashad, when it was me to say what? Sure. You know what I mean? I made sure that, you know, let me stick close to this brother. Let me stick close to this sister because I don't want them to feel the way that I felt. And hopefully that embrace will keep them engaged with the station longer because Neon Dion shouldn't be an anomaly. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like there should be way more of me. And there probably would be if we, I put myself in the collective, if we had extended to other students of color in a real and genuine way. So that's become my walk, dude. That's become like my part of my huge, huge legacy that I hope I'm able to really, you know, put forth to the next generation because I, I interject a lot of students, man, and, and I'm happy for all of them, but I definitely want the students that look like me to definitely know that you got a place here too, and that you belong here too. Dion, I'm only going to speak for myself here. I would never presume to speak for anybody else on this topic, but I do want to say that I'm really glad you told that story and brought this up because part of my goal in doing this podcast is to celebrate the 50 years of WJPZ. And in that 50 years, there have been ups and downs. It hasn't always been pretty. There have been struggles. And I want to include as many viewpoints as I can on this podcast. I want to cover as many topics as I can on this podcast. And I want to just take a moment and just say thank you for going there, which is probably not an easy place to go for a lot of people. And it's probably not easy to hear for some people. But I'm really glad you shared that piece of it because it's an important piece of the history of WJPZ. I want to thank you for just creating that safe space to have this conversation because I really, you know, I grapple with it. Even when I when I told Steve, I'd said to myself, like, yeah, should I go there? You know, Steve, like one minute we're cracking jokes and everything's on a, on a whole different level. And I don't want to bring the vibe down and but it wore on my soul. I mean, that brother, I mean, we've known each other, you know, since like first day for us. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, I've got to tell Steve, right? And when you and I got into our conversation and, you know, through the expert way that you kind of get into all of your subjects, I'm like, you know what? I, I just feel like this moment feels right to have this conversation. And I thank you for that. I thank you for creating that safe space to have this talk and hopefully will inspire more students of color and more allies as well. More allies just to kind of look at us for who we are, period. And to have a relationship based on that. But, you know, that was one of the hard lessons that JPZ taught me. You know, a lot of sunny lessons, a lot of bright lessons. I, I hit many a post. But, <laughs> you know, this was one of the hard lessons that I think JPZ um, had taught me. 
And I thank them for it because, like I said, I literally have, you know, this level of difficult conversation to this day. And it taught me more than I would ever have without it. So it sounds like you took what could be taken as a really negative experience at the radio station and turned it into a lesson that you've applied in your career since. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. I mean, adversity is nothing new for malign folk, for malign minorities, for malign people, you know, but it's what you do with that pushback, with that negativity. It's what you do with it. And I think many students may have taken, you know, a level of what I may have gotten and said, you know what? F this place, man. This isn't for me. You know what I mean? And cut out or dial themselves down. I was too invested. Yeah. I was way too invested in this radio station and its people and what I saw for myself. I was too invested to just quit. And I'm not a quitter, dude. Like it just isn't in my DNA. So it wasn't even an option for me. But others may have said, you know what? Eh. So I want to push back against the ants now and to encourage more conversation. Like we don't all have to kind of agree, but let's be respectful with it. You know what I mean? Because at the end of the day, all we share is our love of what we do. So let's just kind of be that to each other first and foremost. It's WJPZ at 50. Hey, it's Jag. You're probably listening to this episode of the podcast because you know the person I'm interviewing. But one of the true joys of this project has been learning the stories of everyone in the WJPZ family. When you're done with this podcast, I'd encourage you to check out an episode with someone you don't know. You never know what you might have in common with your other WJPZ relatives. Looking back at half a century of broadcast excellence. This is WJPZ at 50. Let me take you back a little bit, Dion. You've talked about where you are now. Take me through your career path since JPZ, because you have done a lot of stuff. For the alums who don't know you as well as most of us do, and your Hall of Fame career since uh, graduation, take me through the different roles you've had. It's a blessing, man. I mean, radio, you know, radio is all I wanted to do. Yeah. No, that's a lie. Okay. I wanted to be an astronaut Okay. when I was really young, but that was fleeting. Radio has been like my joy. And so after Syracuse, I had the all-time dream realized where I was hired in my hometown radio station, the same station that wouldn't return my calls four years prior. Right. I'll give you a quick lesson that I learned on the power of relationships Mm -hmm. that I still use to this day. It's all about, and this is so cliche, but it's all about who you know, right? I mean, once you're in that position, if you don't know anything, you know, you're going to get kind of weeded out pretty quickly, right? But it's all about that person who will give you the look, you know, the nod, the Mm -hmm. Dion's okay, right? I learned that early. I got my first job thanks to my relationship with Melanie Kushner at JPZ. You know, Melanie introduced me to a guy named Russ Allen, who at the time was APD at WPGC in Washington. And me being a Baltimore guy, you know, she arranged for us to hang out during Thanksgiving break. Hey, yeah, Russ is in D.C. If you can make it to D.C., you know, you can hang out in the studio. Perfect. Okay, cool. So, you know, she hooked it up. I hung out with Russ in the studio one night. Two years later, Russ is awarded program director stripes dun, 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 at 92Q in Baltimore. Hey, Russ, remember me? Dion, Melanie's friend. And he hired me on the strength of JPZ air checks and that relationship. And I ended up at that radio station for nine years. I went from the overnight guy in 95 to program director in 99, programmed the station for three years, which was one of the biggest joys of my career, just to be in your hometown 
And oh my God, like during my time there, we actually put the Heritage Urban V103, the station I grew up listening to. Right. I put that station with my team out of format. Wow. Uh, how crazy is that, man? Just an amazing ride. And so I was at 92Q for nine years. Like I said, I left 92Q, went to what was then referred to as Clear Channel Radio mm-hmm. and worked for three and a half years in Miami. I was at Miami at the perfect time in my life. I was 30 years old, young and stupid. <laughs> so it was perfect. You know, for some reason, I had a sexy apartment on South Beach. Yes. Even though the station was in Fort Lauderdale. like I, <laughs> I, That's a commute. All right. Right. I didn't care, man. I didn't care. But it was a great radio station because unlike 92Q, which had become a heritage, very consistent radio station, the station that, that I went to in Miami was a startup. Mm-hmm. It was a renegade station going up against the 92Q of Miami, if you will. So I got experience on both sides of the coin, right? Yeah how to keep a strong heritage station afloat and how to build a station from scratch. I've been both too. Some stations I've been, I've been the hammer, some have been the nail. Exactly. Exactly, bro. And so that was amazing to me. But then I had to shift around like the early 2000s, man. FM radio had begun to, in my opinion, lose its programmer autonomy. I agree with that. Okay. You know, stations like mine at the time, you know, weren't free to add music that we had, you know, made professional decisions that, you know, made sense for the market. We weren't in charge of bringing in talent. You know, syndication at that point was was rampant. Mm-hmm. It just stopped being fun to me. We didn't have the power to play what we want. Playlists began to look a little, you know, homogenous, like, you know, yeah. I couldn't tell the difference between a Miami playlist and, you know. Seattle. Exactly. And so at the same time, I started to be courted by Satellite Radio, which in 2005 was very much in its infancy. Yeah. You know, I would tell my friends about it and they would say, oh, you mean AOL Radio? Hmm. (laughs) Not AOL Radio. No, this is Satellite Radio. (laughs) People thought I was crazy, man. People thought I was crazy for leaving. How could you leave, you know, the mighty clear channel to go to this unproven form of media? But I saw something in it that really attracted me, like the freedom of we let our programmers program. Yeah. What a novel concept. Like we trust you to build the audience with your radio station that we need to have this business thrive. Okay. I'm sold. Yeah. So I left Miami in 05 and I came to at the time XM radio since several mergers uh, prior <laughs> yeah, exactly. and really never looked back, man. Ironically enough, this month, December, I will celebrate my 17th year Wow. At Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, <laughs> Media. You'll be happy to know this podcast is hosted on Simplecast, which is also owned by the same conglomerate. It's a sister station. Hey, it's all in the family, man. Yes. <laughs> and so it's a great ride, man. It's a great ride. And, you know, I call myself a player coach because even being VP of Urban, which means I manage a team of about 10 program directors who oversee radio stations that cater to R&B hip-hop, gospel, and reggae audiences, I still voice track a show. You know, I call myself a player coach in the sense that I kind of manage from, you know, from the sidelines, but I can suit up and, you know, hit the court (laughs) anytime. And in my opinion, kill it. You know, um, again, that JPZ Rocket Ross mentality, right? (laughs) So, so yeah, it's a great ride, man. And I'm loving what I do. 
you know, I love the fact that, you know, we're still connected in this amazing thing called pop culture. You know, I, I always say like, you know, I just want to put my thumb, my itty bitty thumbprint, you know, on the mosaic of pop culture, right? Mm-hmm. You know, because a song that I add, a song that I say yes to will affect somebody's life. Yeah. In some small, insignificant way, right? Do you mean listeners, artists, or both? You know what? I was thinking for listeners, but you're absolutely right. Like, it affects the artist, too. Like, I've been a part of artists who, you know, no one knew his or her name to they're a household name selling out arenas Yeah. to, you know, they're that 30-point mark on Behind the Music to, you know, they made the comeback (laughs) of the millennium, like, this whole curve, man. It's like... Just to be a part of an artist's life like that is phenomenal. But to touch a listener like that, you know, to add a stupid song like Tootsie Roll by the 69 Boys. Yes. And to know that that resonates with somebody, you know, that <laughs> I was a part of that. I did that. I didn't do open heart surgeries. I'm not carrying cancer over here. But, you know, something that we do in our daily walk is affecting, you know, someone's life for the better. And that's the biggest praise I could receive, Matt. So, Dion, earlier you talked about all the mentors that you had starting at JPZ and all, honestly throughout your career. I want to mention uh, Mina specifically on the flip side because I don't know if you've heard the podcast we had out with Mina. It was one of our first ones. She was just effusive in her praise of you and how you became a champion for her in her career, her life, her time at SiriusXM. She just talked about almost what a guardian angel you've been for her in in her career. Uh, talk to me about your relationship with Mina Yona from the class of 08. Okay, you want to talk about a tribe? I remember returning to Syracuse for banquet, and I heard her on the radio. And I thought to myself, who the f- is this? Like, she just sounded <laughs> amazing. I heard her on the radio. I mean, we went to the mall, of course, because that's what you do. <laughs> that's what you do alumni weekend, right? And I remember hearing her, and she just sounded so good. For a second, I thought this must be like another alumni. Yeah. This is a student. Like she sounds so natural and, you know, so authentic and so real. Like I shouldn't have been surprised because this is what we do, right? We crank out these voices. We crank out these personalities who emote. So I remember I made it my point to meet her. I had to meet her. I had to, had to, had to meet her. And then when you meet Mina, you know, she's just as genuine, like IRL, (laughs) As yes. she is on the radio. Like, <laughs> what you see is what you get. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then we talked about her programming history at the radio station. I told her my programming history at the radio station. And, you know, there are a lot of common threads. You know, there are a lot of common threads, you know, in being an executive of color, you know, at Syracuse University. And immediately, despite our age difference, despite, you know, where she was versus where I am, I saw a kindred spirit in her. Yeah. Like, it just gives me goosebumps to this day and just even talking about it right now because she and I were so similarly yoked. You know what I mean? And it just renewed my fascination with the radio station, with JPZ, that like it did for me, you know, what it did for her. Like, you know, wait, like the same level of taking someone who has, you know, the love and drive and determination will sharpen your edges. You know what I mean? We'll round out where you're a little rough and we'll make it work. And she came from that same school of thought that I did. And so I always, I can't even call him a little sister anymore. I mean, she's grown with a baby, <laughs> you know, the whole deal. But I've always stayed close to her because, you know, she was an example 
again, I thought I was the only one. I thought I was alone. You know, I didn't have my tribe until I came to Syracuse. I didn't have people that said, you belong. You know, you're one of us. You know, we get you. I didn't have that before Syracuse. And when I saw her and heard her, I knew that, like, she's the same way. Like, we're cut from that same cloth. So I've always kept her close. You know, we would always air check well before she got the job here, which, you know, obviously she earned. But we would air check and we would, you know, go over her tapes. We would review her on air, you know, delivery. And she was a pro from day one. There wasn't much I could teach her. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, it's that it factor, Jag. Like, and I think 99% of, you know, JPZ students have got that it factor. Like, it's just that it thing, man. You just got it or you don't. And, you know, she had it exceedingly to the point where when there was an opening here, we had worked together for so long, it was a no-brainer. You know what I mean? She had cut her teeth in other markets and for other companies. You know, she was ready. She was ready for that national look. And to this day, like, you know, we spoke this morning, like we're doing some stuff for New Year's and programming on the heat. She just gets it. And it it's such a joy when someone who gets it is just so genuinely sweet and kind and that you could genuinely call a friend. Like, I couldn't ask for better from her. And it all started from, like, that chance encounter where I was listening to her on the radio and thought, wow. Like, she blew me away then, and she still does that for me to this day. She's done that with generations of, of alumni and students. I remember I was class of 02. Matt Del Signor and, and Josh Wolf from 03 were like, you've got to meet Mina when you come to Syracuse. Like, she's a rock star. And so yeah. that's awesome to hear. It was great to hear her perspective on your relationship, and now it's great <laughs> to hear your perspective on the true friendship and as colleagues that you've built over all these years. Um Tell me if you could, I don't want to make it seem like you're on the Oscars and you're going to forget somebody, but tell me about a few other relationships or close names, either from classmates or alumni older or younger than you that you've developed uh, great relationships with over the years, Dion. Sure. You know, the tribe, and I'm going to forget people because I mean, oh my God, like I remember when, um, when Velarde came here to the building on alumni business about maybe like a couple of years ago, I think before COVID, you know, we just had the greatest conversation just about you know, about old times and about just kind of what JPZ meant to us. And, you know, it's kind of like going through like a fraternity and thinking back for, you know, when you were hazed and (laughs) hazed from four to 6 a.m. Right, right. When you crossed and got your letters and you know what I mean? (laughs) Chris, I mean, Adam, Kefele, you know, Damien, Damien and I were like, yo, we're going to get this radio station one way or the other. Like, yo, we're going to make this thing happen, like, period. You know what I mean? Um, Gorab, like, it's surreal to me, the fact that he and I work in the same building. Hmm. You know what I mean? It's surreal that I see him every day. Diamond Dave, you know, he was my first program director. You know, the, <laughs> you know, the music mixes the difference. I'm like, dude, like, it's so great to work around him to this day. Like, I love that. I mentioned Jeremy, Jeremy Nicholas. He was always in my corner. Marvin, Big Daddy. <laughs> Oh my God. Like I just say his name and start laughing, bro. Like Marvin has just been such a good friend. Yeah. Marvin was the bad cop to my good cop. <laughs> <laughs> and he knew it. And, and and I love that about him, man. I remember Kendall B. Yeah. Oh my God. How I idolized Kendall B. I remember when I asked if I could sit in on Dance Jam one Saturday and he let me sit in on the show. And I mean, this thing was a three ring circus, man. You would never guess that all of this great audio came out of this 
freaking shoebox of a studio <laughs> because I mean he was running full court on everything and I just sat back and thought oh my god like if I can just do half of the stuff that this guy is doing like he's creating magic like every single week and I would tell him that like yeah oh my god like just watching him and Shanti and Marvel was involved you know shout to Curtis Danny Cagney like it was just magic to me like that was like homework to me, just studying Kendall B like every single Saturday. Wow. Um, Jen Neese. Me, Jen Neese, and Steve Donovan, Abe Proman, <laughs> we starred in a UUTV sitcom freshman year <laughs> that was so, so incredibly, irrevocably bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. It was called Roommates. Okay. Myself. Steve Donovan, and um, there was a third um, non-JPZ guy. The three of us were college freshman roommates. And Jen and another co-female lead were like our best friends. It's like It, it was like friends with a black guy. <laughs> and it was just so bad. It was so bad. I think one of my subplots was that like I had separation anxiety as a freshman. So... I had a bunny. Okay. I got a stuffed bunny rabbit that I kept. You'll find it somewhere. Like Donovan found it and shared it with me. And it was like, oh my God, please burn this. I might, I might have to get it from him and link it in the show notes now. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it's there. Like since COVID, he's given this to me. And it was even worse <laughs> seeing it over again. Like so bad. But I knew Steve and I knew Jen from roommates. Like we literally would do UUTV and then walk across the hall to JPC. So I've always kind of had them be like, you know, we were part of that original sort of crew, you know, and I love whenever I talk to Steve, like he interviewed me a while back and we had a great time catching up. Jen to me was always just like such a great spirit, you know, Joanna, Mark, I'm going to forget people, you know what I mean? <laughs> Ed Brundage, like I think one of the best set of pipes, you know, in the building. We were just a bunch of just, you know, kids. We just threw anything against the wall, bro. Yeah. Whatever sticks, sticks. Whatever doesn't. Who cares? <laughs> like, let's just try it again, man. Like, that was the magic of it. We were all kids just trying to, like, make a cool radio station, man. Like, it was great. I'm sure I'm forgetting a lot of people, so I may just randomly. That's all right. Just kind of spit out a name. Bebop Alexander. You know, I may yeah. just spit out a name. <laughs> Dina Jones. Right. It, it, it'll happen. So just bear with me, man. I always ask our guests for a funny story from their time at the station, and you may have already checked that box, the idea of picturing you and Donovan and Nice on a sitcom together, because that's <laughs> I need to get that YouTube video and add the show notes and maybe splice a couple of clips into the, uh, into the episode here. Any other funny stories from back in the day that come to mind immediately for you, Dion? You know how much of a Whitney fan I am. I mm -hmm. remember when we first got the uh, I Will Always Love You CD single. I literally screamed. Like, yeah. I literally, like... I, I, I literally like Whitney. Yeah, exactly. Well, no, nothing like Whitney. Well, I mean, you can't hit that. You can't hit that. No, I, I know. Yeah. I didn't go where she went with it, but I remember that. Right. You know, I remember being in the carrier dome, not really a funny story, but something that I just always stuck with me. Like I remember being in the carrier dome before sophomore year and being at the Z table. This is when we got the new splash uh, paint swipe logo. Mm -hmm. I just remember like we had a huge, group of people at our table wanting to join the radio station. It was me, I think Joanna. I just remember like it was a black guy, you know, a female, you know, a white guy. And I thought this feels right. Uh -huh. You know what I'm saying? Like this feels right. You know, at the end of the day, man, I just really wanted to belong. 
You know what I mean? I'm this, you know, lanky, goofy black guy. Like, I don't know if I'm going to fit in here. But little did I know that I had joined the Isle of Misfits <laughs> where. <laughs> yes, we were. Where we were all cool, man. Like, like none of us were cool. So we were all cool. None right? of us were uncool. There you go. Yeah. Right. And, you know, just my lasting thought with Z has always been like, thank you for, you know, for embracing me. You know what I mean? Like, like, thank you for embracing me. Thank you for taking my, my love of music and my desire to pull back that curtain seriously and manifesting that love and literally being the reason why I'm sitting in this space right now at 1221 Avenue of the Americas. Like it's a direct result of everything that I've done at that radio station and every friendship that I've nurtured, every cart that I played. <laughs> What's a cart? For our younger listeners Wait, <laughs> who don't right, know, right. if you've ever seen an eight track, it's somewhat similar. We're only audio, but Dion is holding up a cart of... Yeah, it's audio, so you won't be able to see this. Is it good to you by Heavy D and the boys, and it's got the <laughs> intros marked at 2, 5, 12, 14, and 18. These are way too many posts, man. I was going to say. Yo, I stole this cart. This is an authentic Z89 cart that I took from that radio station, man. And and every time I look at it, it, it just reminds me of, you know, from whence I came. You know, I just appreciate being a part of it. You know what I mean? And, you know, being a Hall of Famer. He's got the microphone on his desk. He's holding it up right now. That was a crowning achievement, man, because, like, all I wanted to do was belong, man. I just wanted to belong to a cool group of folks, man. And I am. I'm part of a, a brotherhood and a sisterhood for life. And I've never taken that for granted. Just never had. Well, I think I speak on behalf of all the alumni that I thank you for all of your numerous contributions to the radio station, both as a student and as an alum. So ironically, a little behind the curtain here, we're recording this on December 6th. I actually have to leave from this to head out to a Christmas party. I'm going to walk into this Christmas party and everybody's like, why do you have this stupid grin on your face? And I say, because I just spent 40 minutes talking to Neon Dion. And while the people at this Christmas party are not going to get it, anybody from the Alumni Association who knows you knows your happiness and your energy is so contagious. Dion, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Bro, this, this like I said, it's all downhill from here, man. I think I'm going to pack up and go home now. Like this has been, <laughs> this has been amazing. I hope I've answered your questions well, man. I love being a part of this. I can't wait to see you next year, bro. Yes. I just appreciate you asking me to do this. Like anytime, anything for JPZ in the world, you know that. So thank you, brother. I appreciate your time, man. Thank you. All right, Dion. The WJPZ at 50 podcast is created entirely by the staff and alumni of the world's greatest media classroom. It's hosted by John Jag Gay, class of 2002. Editing help from James Bames Grundy III, class of 2020. Imaging by Maureen Cooper, class of 1999. And Ed Lacombe, class of 1985. Podcast artwork by Marty Dundix, class of 2001. Follow WJPZ at 50 on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you're listening right now.